Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Meet Kevin Show. So we last interviewed the executives over at HUD8 Mining, a Canadian cryptocurrency mining company. Well, today we are going to interview the CEO of Argo, Peter Wall. I'm super excited to have Peter here. Peter, thank you so much for being here. And you got to start off by introducing yourself and telling us why you over hot and what makes you different? Let's <laughs> let's get the competitiveness going. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you, Kevin. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so I'm Peter. I'm the CEO at Argo. I've uh, been with the company since it started back in early 2018. Uh, we're a publicly traded cryptocurrency miner, similar to HUD8, listed on NASDAQ. Originally was listed in London. We're still listed on the London Stock Exchange. So like HUD8 went from Canada to the NASDAQ, we've gone from London to the UK to the NASDAQ. But I'm actually Canadian, uh, and we're uh, we've got our operations in Canada and in the U.S. I think you have operations in West Texas now that you're expanding, right? We do, yeah. So we're building our flagship mining facility. It's currently under construction. It'll be open at the end of the first quarter of next year. So it's a 200 megawatt facility in in West Texas. Uh, up to 800 megawatts, we have access to in, in terms of power uh, capacity there. Um, and it's a great place to be mining. I, I, I call it Bitcoin mining nirvana, Kevin, because it's got low cost power, lots of renewable power. Um, and it's just a really great state to be in. It's a business friendly state. Um, and there's, um, you know, there's this particular type. I don't know how well you've looked into the grid in Texas, but it's, it's a very unique situation for miners because of the flexibility that it gives to sell power back to the grid during times of scarcity. So now in California, when you sell back, you sell back at uh, like reduced rates. Is, is that different in Texas? I'm more familiar with the California grid. It's totally uh, and they keep making Texas. it harder in California. <laughs> it's totally right. They always make it harder. It's unique in, in, in the U.S. It's unique in the world. In, in Quebec, we do the same thing. So in Quebec, we've got we mine. We have two facilities in Quebec, which we acquired this year. We've been mining there as, as the main client for years. And we get a low cost kind of flat rate of power. And then during times of peak demand in the winter when it's minus 20 out, they ask us, hey, can you guys dial down 25%, 50%, and we give power back to the grid. And they say, hey, thanks a lot for doing that. They don't give us any discounts. In Texas, because the grid is, is structured in this kind of really unique manner, when you give power back to the grid, you're actually selling it back to the grid when you're shutting down your power. So you then get discounts, which are you know counted towards your, your, your overall bill. So whereas in Quebec, you get you know, four cent power, which is, which is really good. 3.8 cent yeah. power in Texas, you can actually get sub two cents, um, wow. per kilowatt hour, which is really amongst the cheapest power uh, anywhere in the world. Now, is, is that because in Texas, the government just wants to incentivize the crypto miners to come to Texas or, or why is it so cheap there? I mean, I know we've got ready available or, or uh, readily accessible natural gas resources, uh, wind and solar, uh, but, but can that really get you to two cents? It can. And it's, it's cheap because um, the, 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 uh, the way in which the grid has been structured, the ERCOT grid, is that it's, it's deregulated. So there isn't, it's a natural competitive market. Um, and, and that's why you're able to tap into what they call these control load response programs. And they like miners because miners are one of the few large scale industries that have flexibility because we don't need to be running 24 hours a day. We can shut down for half an hour or an hour and, and give some, and, we, and you don't do that very often. But when you do, you're really incentivized to do it. It's all about balancing demand and and supply like generation and load right 
the way in which these power systems are built is that they're built for peak demand. They're built for peak, peak load. Um, and so most of the time, there's lots of generation that's available. And then on a really, you know, uh, hot day or cold day, demand goes up and then, oh, there's not enough supply. So it gets really tight. Can you give some back and bring, you know, bring, bring down the load a little bit? And that's having that flexibility is very rare. And cryptocurrency mining is one of the, the only large scale power users that can do that. And let me, let me give you an example. We're building, you know, a 200 megawatt facility. We have access to 800 megawatts of power. 800 megawatts of power is the equivalent of about a city of 400,000 people. And to be able to shut that off and turn that down, you know, at the, at the flick of a switch upon demand provides more stability to the grid, provides more flexibility to the grid. Uh, and so, you know, the grid in Texas likes it. And the governor's on record saying they like it. The head of the ERCOT grid is, is on, on the record saying they like cryptocurrency mining because of that kind of flexibility and, and that balancing, um, you know, the, the way in which it balances kind of the overall grid. Yeah, it, it's so fascinating because I, I remember Kathy Wood made the argument over at ARC that uh, along with Square, they, they did a research presentation together. And their argument was that you could really make grids more reliable and expand them by using crypto as kind of your crutch. And and I'm yeah. as you were just explaining this, I was just sort of imagining a, a couple of examples. And, and one of them I thought of is, look, if I built, let's just say, an 800 megawatt factory for, for Tesla and I was manufacturing cars, what am I supposed to do? Tell all my employees to just stay home when they want their power back, right? Whereas with crypto, you're, you're just turning off machines for a bit. So it gives you this incredible flexibility. Yeah, and it's also it, it also is like built into the nature of what we do, which is we turn power into money. We're turning energy into currency. Um, right. And so, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's more worthwhile for us not to mine and to kind of be that flexible load and to shut down and give power back to the grid. Because power is our main cost. You know, it's 85 to 90% yeah. of our costs of mining is power. Uh, you know, the, if you look at our, our overall balance sheet, our, our staff, our, even our, you know, any kind of debt payments that we're making, it's all, it all dwarfs in comparison to the amount we spend on power. Um, and even though mining has been, you know, this year in particular, extremely profitable, we still have enormous power bills that we have to pay. Yeah, how do you stay profitable when we continue? Like the last like three four months, we've seen uh, it, it become more difficult. For example, to mine Bitcoin, mm -hmm. are you diversifying into different coins? What uh, what are sort of the things that you could do to stay ahead of that curve? Especially yeah. you know once China shut down, we've we've seen difficulty rates finally start yeah. coming up again. Yeah, and and you know that's it was expected, right? I mean the the yeah. margins for for twenty twenty one have been so good. Uh, we've been well over 80% in our mining margin, you know, our, our profit minus our kind of direct costs uh, or our revenue minus our direct costs for, for the entire year, which has been amazing. You know, going back to previous years, we've been mining for a long time. Going back to previous years, you know, we were in the 40s and the 60s. Now we're in the 80s. It's been, it's been a banner year for miners. And, you know, likely as more miners come online and if the price of Bitcoin doesn't, you know, go through the roof, margins are going to tighten a little bit. So what do you do as a miner? Uh, there's two things you do. One is you stay in the top tier of efficiency, which means you get the most, you know, current machines as much as you can um, and you get the cheapest power. And then for us, the, the key differentiator for us in 2022 is we're building an immersion facility in Texas, which means mm -hmm. we're putting the machines into a dielectric fluid and cooling them with liquid instead of cooling them with air. 
it, you're, you're able to get the machines to perform better. It's more efficient because it's a more efficient way to cool them. Uh, and you're able to you know, have the machines last a lot longer, uh, which is obviously a, a key piece for, for when you're running machines. Now, in, in Quebec, I imagine uh, as much as possible, you probably use air cooling out there. W would you say that immersion gets you immersion gets you to a, a similar level of efficacy or or, or is it even better because you it's, overclock it's even, even more? It's even better. Yeah. I mean, the, wow. the, you know, there's there's no more efficient way. You think about engines like car engines, you know, when when you're building a basic car engine, you just cool it with air. Like you bring in air, you blow sure. it through. But when you're building a Porsche engine or a very high level engine, you're going to want to use liquid. It's the most efficient way to cool machines. And so as these mm. mining rigs get more and more powerful and use, you know, they generate a lot of heat, you need to clear that heat out. And the best way to do it is through moving liquid through them. It's been a challenge for a lot of miners. They haven't felt confident to do it at a large scale. We're very fortunate. We have an incredible tech team. We've built our own immersion system with a U.S.-based manufacturer, uh, which we're going to, you know, hopefully share with the world in, in 2022. But it's uh, we totally believe that it's the future, not just for cryptocurrency mining, but for kind of high capacity um, computing across the board in, in, in the future. Uh, I'm just I just looked this in here uh, or pull, pull this up. You just bought a bunch. It looks like you're buying 20,000 Bitmain uh, amp miners for the uh, S19J Pros for West Texas. How do these compare to like ASICs for Bitcoin mining? Yeah, so those are a form of ASICs. Those they are, are okay. Yeah, those are the the, the, the most recent type of ASICs that are oh, out. I see. Okay. Yes, the, the S19. That fills in the gap. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of different models that they have. That's that's the one that we've settled on um, for 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 Texas. Um, and uh, you know, we've mined with kind of all sorts of different ASICs over the years, but but the S19 is kind of the standard right now. I see. Okay. Okay. Got it. Uh, yeah. I was, I remember when I was talking to uh, Hot Eight, they mentioned that's essentially what you want to use for Bitcoin. But uh, now they also picked up a whole supply. I think they picked up somewhere on ten thousand units of uh, Nvidia. Uh, hmm. What is it? Uh, the the CPU. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, they picked those up, but they're mining Ethereum. Is that something you all are trying to do as well? So we've, we used to mine Ethereum back in the day. And, and if you think about ASICs being like the kind of Formula One car that you can only really drive on one road and do only one thing and, and mm -hmm. you need them for Bitcoin mining. You think about the GPUs, they're more like kind of four by fours and they can go on you know multiple different roads. You can move them onto different algorithms pretty easily. And that's why you know Ethereum, everyone thinks Ethereum is going to proof of stake. It's always coming. It's always coming. And right. so- there hasn't been a ton of ASIC development in terms of manufacturing rigs for Ethereum mining. Most people are still mining on GPUs. So HUD8 saw an opportunity. They bought, they, you know, they made a good purchase and they had them up and running uh, in the summer. There was a lot of people who didn't buy Ethereum mining rigs, including us, because this proof of stake transition is happening in the future. Mm -hmm. And those machines are, are going to not be as profitable in the future when that transition takes place. So it's a bet you're making that you're going to get your value back from those machines prior to the proof of stake transition. Now, Bitcoin's not moving to proof of stake anytime, uh, anytime soon. So we know that an S19 we buy this year or next year is going to be we're going to be able to run it for four or five years or maybe longer in immersion because the machines are so well protected. That's not the case with Ethereum. Um, that being said, you can move to another algorithm might not be as profitable. Um, but certainly Ethereum has been very profitable to mine, you know, for, for the, for 2021.
Yeah, that seems like was one of the uh, the sort of arguments that uh, that I heard as well was that, hey, well, worst case scenario, if we need to move off Ethereum, we'll go to Matic or we'll go to something else. So it <laughs> was one of yeah. the things that we had heard of. So so it, I suppose that depends on if, if you need, wanted to diversify in that direction. But right now, Argo, you're focused just on Bitcoin, right? We're focused on Bitcoin. We also mine Zcash uh, on another algorithm, on the Equihash algorithm. It's about 5 to 10% of our revenue. Those machines have actually been more profitable over the last two years than our Bitcoin miners. Um, and, uh, we bought some in 2019, we bought some in 2020. Um, and that's, yeah, they've been great. So we're opportunistic. If we see other coins or other projects that, that are available, we'll lean into them. We're also super interested in, in, and we'll be talking more in the future about, about what we're calling our non-mining activities, Kevin. So we think that there is this enormous wave, this transition that's happening in the world of finance and, you know, DeFi, Web 3.0, all of these projects are, are really gaining steam. We were an early investor in, in Pluto, I'm sorry, in, um, in Polkadot back in, in 2019. Nice. Um, you might have heard of, you know, you probably know Dot. It's done, we, I think it's oh, like yeah. 40X since we invested in it. So uh -huh. we think, you know, our team is able to identify early stage projects. And, and like I said, we haven't fully announced that yet, but we'll be leaning more into kind of the non-mining side of the business in, in 2022. Okay, so almost more. Uh, I mean, in theory, what what you're doing when you're investing into these earlier stage product projects is you're essentially a publicly listed, almost venture capital firm that that's hunting for those opportunities, huh? Yeah, we have to be a little bit careful about the language. Uh, venture sure. capital is probably not the right word because we're an operational company. Fair. Um, but we what we what we think of is is we're you know we like to support projects in the early stage uh, in the blockchain. So whether it's you know running a validator or running a node or um, you know, we've done some also some investments into this year. We invested in a company called Pluto, which is a is a UK based startup focused in the in the world of DeFi and, and Web 3.0. We we also invested in WonderFi, which you might have heard of, which is a, a DeFi based startup uh, based in in Canada that's listed on the Neo Exchange. So we 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 just think that the space is so exciting in general. Mining is awesome. Mining has been really profitable for us. But looking into the future, we think there's other parts of the space that are, are too important to ignore. That makes sense. Uh, and so the goal right now is obviously uh, build out your West Texas facility. Are you planning any expansion in uh, in Canada? We haven't announced any expansion in Canada. The focus right now is, is really West Texas. Like I said, we have an 800 megawatt runway there, which you know is an enormous amount of power. Um, the first phase will be 200 megawatts, which will be you know, operational in, in 2022. Um, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Now, where are you going to come up with the, uh, the funding? Um, I was just working on pulling up your balance sheet, but it's going to be expensive to buy all of these uh, ASICs. I know you bought 20,000. Have you already funded those or are those just planned to be bought? I know you had a senior note offering, so maybe that helped in November. Yeah. So essentially there's three ways for us to, to access capital to, to grow. And obviously growth is super important for, for a cryptocurrency miner, for any company in the space, given how quickly the space is moving. So number one, you know, we can sell Bitcoin. We did that a lot in 2019, 2020 to cover operating costs, to buy new machines. We don't, we didn't particularly like it because who wants to sell Bitcoin when it's appreciating so quickly. Um, right. But it is, it is a lever we can pull on. The other two levers are debt and equity. You, you, you mentioned the note uh, or, or the, the bond that we did. So we did a, a baby bond uh, in, in this quarter. Just a little while ago, we raised over $40 million through the through the baby bond. We've done a Bitcoin-backed loan. We've done machine financing. We've done mortgages against our, our facilities in Quebec. 
So debt is a, is a realistic opportunity and become even more realistic given the credibility that this space is, is gaining. Um, people think, you know, that, that crypto miner, crypto mining company debt is, is more valuable than it was two years ago where no one would give us a loan because it was such a right. new space, right? Um, and then the third is equity. We've done three equity raises this year. Uh, we did one in January, one in March, and then we did one with our NASDAQ IPO in September. And those have all kind of helped build up our treasury. Um, so we have those three levers that we can pull on as we grow. Um, and we'll kind of use whichever one is, is most appropriate at, at any particular time. How much Bitcoin are you holding right now? So we've got about 2,400 Bitcoin on the balance sheet right now. Um, so it's, it's a decent amount. You know, we, we always want to have more. We love our, our HODL. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, every month it continues to grow. That's awesome. So what about like more broadly then where are your all's uh, thoughts on things like nfts i know you briefly touched on DeFi. uh would would you consider holding nfts on the balance sheet at all or if you were going to hold let's say bitcoin or even ethereum would you prefer to hold the coin yeah so we've always had kind of a, an expansive view of of the space you know there's some bitcoin miners who say we only hold bitcoin but if you go back and you look at our, you know, 2020 financials, our 2019 financials, you can see we, we've held a host of cryptos over the year, over the years. The main, you know, currency that we hold in, in terms of uh, digital assets is, is, is Bitcoin. And that's, you know, the big daddy. But we've held Ethereum. Uh, we've held other coins. As I said, we're leaning into other non-mining activities. You know, again, we haven't announced anything. NFTs is something that we, we believe is only going to, continue to, you know, gain in energy and, and space. And so it's, it's, um, it's a space that we're, we're really keen on. Yeah. I mean, really there's endless opportunity once you're in this uh, established, uh, uh, you know, crypto space that, that you're in and you are an established player. Uh, I mean, you could essentially get into anything if you wanted to, could you, I mean, credit cards or, or uh, any sort of uh, exchange services or whatever uh, is uh, building off your reputation in theory, right? Yeah, in theory, I mean, there is, you know, as a publicly traded company, you've got to be on side of the regulators. Obviously, you know, we're, we're governed by both the SEC in the US and the FCA in the UK. So there are guardrails and there are, you know, places you can go and places that are still unclear. I mean, the world of DeFi, as we know, we're still waiting for guidance from the SEC on, on how it's treated, how it's handled. So you have to be, you know, you have to push the envelope, but also be cautious as you're doing that, that you're you're on side and you, you know, you're not pissing anyone off. So um, sure. we're not kind of breaking any rules. So for us, it's, it's about looking forward, being progressive, thinking about what's coming down um, the pipe at the same time as, to, you know, protecting the core business, which is, which is Bitcoin and, and crypto mining. Now, do you ever have concerns that in the event, let's say a Bitcoin goes to back to 20,000, 19,000, something like that, uh, that uh, that your ability to operate or fundraise might might be impaired? I mean, especially if you have Bitcoin backed loans, would, would those be at risk of a potentially a margin call? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, our Bitcoin backed loans are, are pretty, you know, not super material in the kind of grand scheme of our overall Bitcoin holdings. Um We've been doing this, Kevin, for four years. It's a roller coaster. Like, you know, we've <laughs> been through we've been through the the crypto winter. Um, we know if things get lean, we know how to operate in a lean way, whether it's running the machines more efficiently, whether it's making sure that we're, um, you know, not kind of overloaded with debt or um, or can't cover our operating costs. We know how to survive in that environment. That being said, I, I think that we're, 
you know, as an industry really moving, we've progressed a lot. We've matured a lot, particularly over the last year. I'm not a subscriber to like, you know, the, the overarching big super cycles that we've seen. I think that we're in these micro cycles now and that, you know, as things, and, and this is just me talking, but as things move forward, I think we'll see, you know, the volatility kind of start to stabilize and, um, and, and, you know, there's so much capital in the space. Now there's so much energy in the space. There's so many in institutions in the space that I'm not particularly worried about Bitcoin going, you know, below 20,000 or 15,000 or I, I, and if it does, you know, we'll, we'll weather it. Um, cause we're, we're, we've done it before and, and, uh, we're a pretty resilient company. Yeah, it, it's always so interesting because have, have, did you go? Th I don't think you went through the crypto winter as a public company. I, I don't know how much of a difference it would make. If anything, it should still give you some more of an opportunity to raise capital. But I, I just always imagine if crypto prices fall, then your share price usually goes down because people are paying in in, in part at least usually like what one sixth, one seventh uh, of your market cap seems to be your your underlying hodl of, of Bitcoin. So that price goes down and potential mining rev goes down. Uh, your ability to raise capital or, or equity also goes down. But what you're saying is, hey, we've as long as we keep our debt low, we're able to weather those opportunities and just become more efficient with the machinery we have, kind of just plow yeah. through it. Huh? Yeah, and we were publicly traded. So we were listed on London, you know, in August of 2018. Um, okay. And then we became, we just listed on the NASDAQ in in the in this this fall. Recently went and rang the bell uh, in New York for congratulations to, uh, opening bell. Thank you. It was it was a moment. It was pretty awesome. Uh, we've got a, a YouTube video, kind of behind the scenes YouTube video up on our on our awesome. site, which you should check out. Um, and um, and yeah, so we we did it before, right? In in you know when we were listed in London, yeah, it it, it sucked. I mean, it was it was a challenge. Like the you know we were uh, we didn't trade where we think we were valued at, and the entire space was you know kind of down. Um, but it makes you a better company. It makes you understand how to run the company in an efficient way uh, mm -hmm. and how to protect capital and, and how to, you know, pay attention to, um, to, to making sure that you're, you're lean and, and, and intelligent. And so we've, we've always kind of kept that mantra, even through the boom times um, that, you know, this is a volatile space and you need to be prepared for all eventualities. That's a good good way to put it. Now, you mentioned that you're more of a subscriber to uh, the, the smaller cycles as opposed to these super cycles. Is that sort of a, dare I say, a day gets stock to flow? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's obviously been a bad month for stock to flow. Um, yeah. You know, so it's hard to be a big believer right now in stock to flow, given where the price of Bitcoin is at, what, 47, 48 today. Um right. Yeah, look, I, I just think that, you know, you see it happening. It's just maturing. It, it used to be so much about um, certain narratives at any one particular time and certain, you know, the having. I mean, even even the next having, I don't think it's going to have the same kind of impact that this that the last having has had on the price because there's just so many factors now that drive the price. Um, so I think I think it's just the whole space is maturing and stabilizing. Got it. Got it. So potentially, hey, you want to apply a chart looking backwards, maybe stock to flow works, but maybe going forward, you're not as convinced. Do you have a, a bullish price target for it in a time frame? So I I, uh, I get asked this all the time um, and I don't generally, you know, um, give a number. I, I just think that the space is continuing to appreciate and continuing to strengthen. And I'm, I'm super bullish long term. I don't know, you know where we're going to be in three months or six months. But I know in 10 years, we're going to be, you know, in a very different place than where we are today. Would you think it'd be unreasonable to see a seven figure Bitcoin? 
I don't think it would be unreasonable. No, I, I mean, obviously, depending on what time frame, but I, I don't think it'd be unreasonable. I mean, what is Kathy Wood? She's still saying 2026, 600K, 500K, right? So, five, yeah, five, 600, you're right. It's somewhere right around there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she's pretty smart, uh, Kathy. So, um, you know, add another five years to that, we could easily be, um, you know, twice that. Nice, nice. So what, uh, what do you think the biggest risk factors are that investors should analyze when they're comparing the different mining companies? I mean, there, there are a few of you. You've got some competition. Uh, in, it, ultimately, you're all doing the same thing when it comes to mining Bitcoin. How can an individual investor looking at the different companies differentiate y'all? What, what sets you apart? I know you're, you've got the immersion facility in Texas. How is somebody supposed to look and understand those things? Any key tips you could give folks? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, and, and like I said, we've been doing this for four years. And I think that there's there's two things that really stand out for me in terms of like risk factors. One is as much as possible, you want to, you know, own the real estate. You want to own your own infrastructure. There's, there's a difference between renting and, and owning. And, you know, we were renters for a long time. We were at, you know, we, we still have machines that are hosted by partners and, you know, they do their best and they run their machines for you. And that's great. But having machines in your own facility, making sure that you're fully in control of, of your power costs, of your infrastructure, um, is super important. If you're gonna if you're gonna thrive long term in this space, you need to be able to control those things from an operating side of, of things and from a cost side of things. Full stop. And so we're super excited about building out Texas. I mean, there's no one that I know of in the space that has an opportunity for 800 megawatts of capacity at the kind of low cost of power that we have there. So that's, it's a huge opportunity for us. It's a huge runway for us. And I think that's a key differentiator. The second now, is, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you. The second is ESG, Kevin. I, I think that if you're creating burning fossil fuels to make Bitcoin, I think that you're vulnerable to potential mm. um, you know, regulation down the, in the future. Uh, depending on the jurisdiction you're in, um, I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's it's a risk to the company. I also think investors don't like it, um, both retail investors and institutional investors, um, right. because climate change is real. It's happening. Uh, you know, we need to do something about it. And so we've we've been very proactive on the ESG side of things. We've been mining in Quebec for years, where it's 100% renewable power through hydro. We set up in Texas for a reason. You know, you can see windmills from our facility. You're standing on the on the land. You look off in the distance. There's a wind farm right there. There's an enormous amount of wind power there that, that we're tapping into. Um, and then, you know, this year we put out a full climate strategy. We became the first company in this space to become uh, climate neutral, climate positive, or carbon neutral, climate positive. We offset our scope one, two, three emissions. Um, and so I think that for, for me, again, and speaking to institutional investors and retail investors, they really like that kind of green message. Um, obviously, there's a certain amount of FUD around, you know, power and and uh, and Bitcoin that that is sometimes just ridiculous that just doesn't make any sense and and Bitcoin gets picked on it for it that's that doesn't justify it but at the same time you do if you are an ESG friendly miner you have a huge huge advantage and I think you're future proofed in a way that if you're burning fossil fuels to make Bitcoin you know like a lot of folks in in Alberta or or um, in Montana or Wyoming are doing um, you're you're vulnerable. That's a good point. I'm uh, looking to your uh, your balance sheet. I'm 
trying to find the darn thing. <laughs> Here we go. I think I just found it. Uh, I'm looking for if maybe you could tell me your current uh, uh, cash balance that you have, cash and equivalents. Yeah, so we haven't put out our cash balance um, recently. I, you know, we, we that explains do that. why I can't find it. No problem. Yeah, we do that at <laughs> the like, end. Where of Where is it? <laughs> yeah, we, we only do that at the end of the year. So we we put out an operational update every month, and it's something that. So I was originally the VP of operations of this company for the first few years. I took over as CEO in January 2020, and when I did that, I I saw that there was a demand, like kind of a need in the market to understand this space more. Like there weren't there wasn't oh, yeah. enough metrics out there. So yeah. we started putting out in January 2020, my first month as CEO, an operational update at the end of every month, which had how many Bitcoin we've mined for that month, what the mining margin was, how much revenue that met was in pounds and USD, and what our overall Bitcoin hodl was. Um, so not our cash position, because sure. but because we do that as part of our um, you know our annual report. Um, but that was those were metrics that now everyone in the space is using and everyone's putting out these operational updates. Um, and I think that's a good thing for the space as a whole, because it, yeah. it allows investors, you know, people who are who are listeners of yours and, and followers of yours to kind of really understand, you know, what kind of production, what does it mean to have 1.5 exahash or 1.6 exahash of, of Bitcoin uh, mining capacity? What does that actually mean on a month to month basis? What does that right. mean in terms of cash? What does that mean in terms of of, of Bitcoin um, in, in, you know, in the company's treasury. So the more data that's out there, I think the better. And we've tried to be as transparent as possible and, and kind of take a leadership role in being transparent about, you know, putting out data to the market. Nice. So the 320 acres, I believe you have in Texas, correct me if I'm wrong on that acreage. Uh, what, how far along are you on that? Is it, is it, Hey, we're in permitting, you break ground. Yeah. What's I mean, so we just put out a video. You can look on our Twitter page. Um, okay. We're about 50% complete for the project. Ooh. So the, the most of the skin of the building is, is up. The, the um, all of the, the infrastructure is up in terms of, um, are not the infrastructure, but all of the the um, the support beams are up, and the last little bit of skin on the outside of the building will be up by the end of next week, uh, likely. So we just we we put we try to put update videos out, out on our Twitter page as much as we can. We just put one out, like I said, this week, and then next week we'll put a, a little bit longer piece up with our uh, with our head of construction, hopefully. Um, so we're we're making great progress there, and and we're, there you go, there it is, right there. Um, a little bit of a little dumpster action. So a little dump truck action. So um, there's a great wide shot here at the end. So this is some of the power infrastructure. Uh, these are kind of the internal support beams and external support beams. We've got a great construction team on the site and they're, uh, they're hammering away. And then this is what the space looks like. So it's 135,000 square feet. Um, it'll be one of the largest immersion facilities, if not the largest facility, oh. immersion facility in the world when it's up and up and done. Um, there's a great drone shot right at the end, Kevin. And, um, yeah, we're, we're hammering along. The, the goal is to be operational by mid March of, of, uh, 2022. Wow. That's incredible. Oh yeah. There you go. It Look is. at that. That's so that's Dickens County for you. It's 320 acres. Um, but it's actually 160. We have an option on the other 160. So we I haven't, see. we haven't closed the option on the, on the second piece, but there's lots of space to kind of rinse and repeat and continue to add. Um, capacity. So this will be 200 megawatts in that, in that space right there. And um, it's a cool place. If you ever want to come do a tour, let me know once we're up and running. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. So uh, you said this was 135,000 square feet, I believe you said, right? Yeah. 
so so somewhere just a little over three acres. Uh, I, I mean, how many of these facilities could you build out? Uh, or is it a matter of how much access to power you have? Uh, and if it's a matter of power, what do you need all the land for? You do solar panels, uh, wind well, farms? Well, it's Texas, so there's lots of land. So land is yeah. not, it, it was a parcel that that's what it came out, it was 160. Got it. Uh, acres. You didn't but, go looking for 180 acres. No, we didn't. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll end up using probably, I, I don't know how much we'll end up using of it, all of all that land, but um, we'll use it. We'll use a good portion of it. Uh, we can rinse and repeat that bill. So that's 200 megawatts. We can do three more of those to get to the full 800 megawatts, which is what the interconnection agreement is. There's a substation literally right adjacent to the property. And that's why we've chose that, that spot because there's a substation that's a five and a half gigawatt, so 5,500 megawatt uh, substation that we're tapping right into. Um, wow. And that's, that's there's, you know, there's a ton of congestion at that substation because there's so much renewables that have gone up in West Texas in the last 10 years. And the power has nowhere to go. Lubbock is the nearest big city. It's an hour away. There's 200,000 people. They use 400 megawatts in Lubbock, 400 wow. megawatts, which means the rest of that power needs to go to Dallas or, or Fort Worth or to, you know, Austin, other parts of the state. And, you know, there's transmission challenges with moving power long distances. Uh, and also there's infrastructure challenges with there's just not enough transmission wires. There's, they've really, through subsidies, have built a ton of wind power in West Texas, but um, there's no local load to use it. So we're, we're happy to be using it up. Now, how much would you say uh, this, once, once you're all said and done, not, not including the land, what does it cost you to build out this 200 uh, megawatts? Because you've also, you got to do the immersion uh, and the ASICs. I mean, the ASICs are expensive, all of that. What, what, do you have a ballpark? So we, we haven't announced publicly the, the final number. Um, we haven't disclosed that to the market. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what's the best way to think about costing? Um, it's, Initial estimate? <laughs> I mean, we, we have been on, so we, let's say between one to two billion to build out 800 megawatts. But then wow. divide that by four, right, for, for the first, um, you know, for the first 200 megawatts. So, so uh, you know, somewhere in that in that kind of ballpark. 250 to 500 mil. That's, I mean, it's not that easy for a, a new a new person to just set up shop next to you. I mean, it's not that easy to come up with $250 million even on your low end there to compete with you. Yeah, I mean, as, as I've said many times before, the three things you need to mine uh, to be a cryptocurrency miner, capital, machines, and and power. You know, and, yeah. and the hardest one to get right now of those three is power um, because the wow. Chinese have been looking, you know, for new places to park their rigs since the since the you know the crypto mining ban in 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 China in in the in the summer or late spring. Um, so power is really hard to get. So to have an 800 megawatt runway is amazing. Um, for us, rigs. If you if you've got the right connection and you know you've you've been in the game long enough, you can get machines. The the time frame to get them is now extending further and further into the distance. It used mm. to be when we first started, you could you could call up Bitmain and get machines delivered in a month or two. Now you're looking for you know a quarter or two or or more often if you're gonna if you're gonna put a, a large order in. Um, fortunately, we have a good relationship with Bitmain. You know we're we're on their Christmas list uh, or their Christmas card list. Uh, um, and then the last is capital. And, you know, mm. there, there's lots of capital in the U.S., obviously. Um, but uh, that's a key piece that you need in order to build out. It's a, it's a very capital intensive business. But, you know, if you're if you are running 800 megawatts right now of S-19s, 
you know, you're bringing in three to four billion in revenue a year. So, wow. you know, it's it's capital intensive to build, but it's obviously very profitable um, and very, you know, especially with where the price of Bitcoin is right now. There's generating lots of revenue. That's incredible. So this, um, uh, you know, I was surprised. That's why I, I wrote this down. I was surprised that you said your biggest challenge wasn't chips with the whole supply crisis and everything. You got you mentioned the right connections. Yeah, time frames taking a little bit longer. But you actually said the hardest thing right now was finding places to get energy. And and are you really seeing that much competition? Are, are the Chinese miners really coming over to, yeah. to North America? Tell me more about this. Yeah, I'm, there's there's no doubt. Um, and and people are knocking at our door to try to get into to our facility because because wow. we've got access to power and we're building out you know a world class immersion system like like so, a hotel. Yeah, I mean like if you look hotels. at yeah, you like a hotel. I mean, w there's companies that do this, right? Compute North right. or Scientific. They they are hosts. So if you bought, let's say you've got fifty million dollars and you want to put up you know twenty five or 30, 30 megawatts of of machines to to run. Um, you know, you call up core scientific and you say, Hey, you know, can you find me some hosting and you know, what's your rate? And so core looks around at their various facilities and they say, sure, we've got a spot for you in July of 2022. You know, you can install machines and we'll side, we'll give you a three or four year contract. Those are really hard to find right now, Kevin. There's, there's, you know, core, I think is booked mm -hmm. up for all of 2022. There's just not wow. capacity for hosts to give out space. So um, we're we're not interested in being hosts, but we we're okay. always open to to you know business commercial relationships that make sense. So if there's a partner out there uh, or a collaborator out out there that comes to us and says, hey, you know, we need X amount of megawatts. Are you guys interested in you know being a, a you know being a being a, a collaborator at, at at your space? We'll we'll listen to them. But those are really hard. It's really hard to find power right now, especially given that, you know, supply chain for transformers, supply chain for kind of just general electrical equipment um, is really hard to find. I mean, Riot, you know, just acquired a, a company that makes um, PDUs, which is essentially the, the machines that the they're kind of like big power bars that you put in mining facilities and you plug your machines into them. Even PDUs are hard to get. You've got it. You know, there's a long lead time. You've got to plan ahead uh, and make sure you know what you're doing. Do you see the supply chain issues getting any better at all recently? I think by 2023, they'll start to get better. I mean, wow. um, I, I think, you know, we're fortunate. We already have a big order in for 2022. There's, there is machines on, you know, the spot market that you can buy. There's used machines, machines that you can buy. There's ways to get machines if, if you know, you know, the right doors to knock on. Um, but in terms of access to chips, Certainly, there's you know it's it's no it's no secret there's a there's a shortage of chips in the world right now and um, it's it's hard to get access to to high quality chips if you're a smaller player and you know cryptocurrency miners are still in the grand scheme of things smaller players they're not you know they're not Apple um, they're not they're they're not any of these kind of large you know companies um, and so TSMC you know we're I, I saw a graph the other day TSMC makes fifty four percent roughly of the world's semiconductors. Um, wow. So, you know, if you're, if you're able to get in at TSMC, you're in good shape and, um, uh, but it's hard to get in the door. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I would love to try. I just wrote a little note to see if I, Oh yeah. Okay. I found, uh, I found one here. 
this uh this might be roughly similar let's see was it uh potentially this one here <laughs> something like this it was something like that it's actually a website called the visual capitalist i don't know if you've seen this website visual capitalist. i'll check it's, that out it's an awesome site it comes up my feed all the time oh. and they have all these incredible like kind of maps and graphics of um essentially you know the world of finance and, and the world of of industry uh and that oh. one that one popped up this week for me very cool i like that thank you for that that's i i've I have to say, I haven't been to this website. <laughs> I've been to a lot. <laughs> so that is yeah, very cool. cool. I'm going to check this out. That actually, uh, yeah, hashtag not sponsored. But uh, hey, look at that. They, they've got stuff on everything here. So yeah, it's, it's, and it's nicely done. I, I'm a sucker for good design, and it's really yeah. well well designed. I don't blame you. I think that's great. Oh, that's cool. Well, thank you for that recommendation. So, okay, what, what does the future hold for you know, inflation and, and this monetary system, you know, you've got this whole uh, cohort of folks who are uh, mostly younger, uh, many millennials who think that fiat's dead, uh, it's going away, crypto's replacing it, something's going to be the new monetary system for, for the world regime. Obviously, central banks wouldn't be happy about that. But, uh, and, and then you've got the older cohorts, the folks, uh, you know, whether they're boomers or Gen X, who are like, ah, look, we'll invest in it, maybe we'll diversify a little bit into it, but it's, it's, it's not going to replace our existing monetary system. Where do you sort of fall on this whole spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm not an economist, but I'm happy to weigh in. I, I think what's interesting is, you know, you mentioned inflation. I mean, when yeah. we were looking back, you look back to the summer of 2020. What was everyone in the crypto space saying? They were saying, this is insane. The amount of like mo money that's being printed right now, you know, that these, these central governments are just backing up the truck and just pumping cash out. And it was something like a 25% increase in the money supply over, you know, the course of, 20 to 25% over the course of that year. And everyone's like, oh, inflation, inflation, inflation is, is going to happen. And then we didn't hear about it, inflation for about a year. And now what, <laughs> what's the, you know, on every news feed that you see, it's inflation and inflation is kind of out of control. Obviously there's other factors, there's supply chain, there's, there's, it's more than just the money supply, but it's, it's interesting how little discussion there still is in the mainstream media about money supply and about mm -hmm you know, the kind of some of the root causes of, of inflation. So I, I am, I'm a, a believer in sound money. I'm a subscriber to, you know, the Michael Saylor school of, of economics. And I, and I think Bitcoin is sound money. <clears throat> I think the kind of natural scarcity that's built into the system is going to mean that it's going to continue to appreciate. And I think the innovation that we see in the decentralized world of finance um, is really exciting. And I think if you're in your twenties, or in your 30s, you're not going to buy gold. You know, you're not going to go get a um, you know a mortgage from a, a, a straight bank. You're going to look to do a Bitcoin-backed loan. You're going to call up Celsius or BlockFi or you know one of these other lenders. Some form of portfolio line against my crypto. <laughs> I mean, there's just a, Cana a Canadian company I saw today that raised 70 million. Um, that is doing Bitcoin-backed mortgages. Um, really? So they're it's kind of a hybrid model of mortgages with bitcoin that's super interesting i mean for those of us that have you know a bitcoin portfolio why why should we not leverage off of those i mean obviously it's done in the trading world but to do it against hard assets like real estate and to combine hard assets with bitcoin is super interesting um and i i think that's kind of a you know a, pre, a precursor of what's going to come in the future ah interesting yeah i see it here so it yeah, because I'm, uh, you know, you obviously you could get some pretty desirable financing against your real estate up to a certain point, like 80% or something like yeah. that. So I imagine there must be some sort of additional link to where, hey, 
use your Bitcoin as your down payment, essentially. Yeah. essentially yeah. Or, or and, and you'd get a, like kind of an LTV against the Bitcoin, um, you know, kind of combine it into your, your mortgage. So it's, it's, I think there's all kinds of innovation that's going to happen, um, you know, through, through those kind of things, like just straight lending. But then I also think that, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that blockchain is just going to change how we do everything. Um, and I think people in the short term tend to overestimate the impact, but in the long term, underestimate the impact, just like we did with the Internet. I mean, you, you know, Paul, everyone, you know, thought in 1997, 1989, <clears throat> that the Internet was going to change everything. And it took 10 years, 15 years. I think it's we're looking at a similar time frame for, for crypto, probably a little bit more accelerated, but it's happening. That makes sense. What about... Uh... Let's see. Um, oh, that's right. I was going to ask you about Big Digital uh, and these these digital forensic firms. This is another Canadian company. Mm -hmm. Any comments on yeah. on a company like that? Yeah, I mean, I know these guys. Uh, I know Mark Bins, the, the CEO. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously, they have their exchange side of their business, but then they've also got the, the forensic side, um, and they, they work with law enforcement. Um, I, I think, you know, it's part of what's going to start ha be happening in the space, which is people are going to be able to, to track more and more of some of these transactions. And if you do want to use digital assets in an anonymous way, you're going to have to move to, you know, hardcore privacy coins like Monero and, and Zcash. Um, you know, people think that Bitcoin's anonymous. It's not that anonymous. They, right. You can actually, you know, for the most part, figure out where transactions are coming from. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And and so uh, overall, something uh, like as uh, I mean, I short of let me put it this way: is, is it something would you ever consider adding like forensic services to to your sort of company, or is this more of like, hey, you'll look for maybe opportunities as they come up, but they'd be more in that DeFi space for consumers or any B two B basically. Yeah, I mean, for us, uh, we're interested in generating yield and generating revenue off of you know cryptocurrency uh, consensus mechanisms. So. You know, mm. we're doing that through Bitcoin mining. Um, what are other con consensus mechanisms? Staking, uh, you know, farming, um, you know, being early stage investors in new projects and, and taking tokens. So all of those kind of opportunities, I, I think the further we get away from that, the less we're kind of be going to be, you know, connected to our core business. But individually, I'm super interested in all of those those kind of spaces. And Got it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just really interested right now personally on the connection between and you know you're a creator the connection between creators and value and i think nfts are kind of leading this right now you know how people are are generating um digital assets and then turning those into revenue streams for themselves and then if you can combine governance tokens with that and kind of a, a, a connection between those two worlds you know I, i'm yeah. a former journalist and former filmmaker um, I find that world really interesting. So I'm I'm learning more about it and and seeing how we can decentralize, you know, value as much as we can. There, there's so much to learn in, in uh, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. It's incredible. Uh, so I, I um, on that note, what do you think about Melania's NFT release this morning? Yeah, I read about that. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, well, I guess the question is like. When do you hit peak, you know, craziness? Is it when Tom Brady uh, releases the NFT or was it when, uh, you know, Mrs. Trump releases the NFT? I'm, I'm not sure, um, but we're getting close to it. Now, is, is peak craziness another way of you saying peak bubble? 
I don't think there's a bubble, but I think that, you know, just like in the internet, you know, um, back 20 years ago, things get hyped, you know, yeah. DeFi was getting hyped, you know, like crazy a year ago. It doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean there isn't value there. It doesn't mean there isn't uh, a, a, a huge opportunities there. Um, but things do get a, a little overinflated and, and people who don't necessarily aren't great cultural fits for this space start kind of leaning into it. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So I think the last big question that, that I have, uh, and, and it's also just more industry broad, you know, if, if things like USDC, you know, stable coins are so, so, so strong, and I'm, I'm coming up with this question because of your interest in getting into more of that, that yield-based uh, yeah. revenue in addition to mining, right? Uh, why doesn't someone like Apple or why don't we see larger companies move some of their treasuries in, into stable coins that have these incredible yields? We'd expect their yields, to maybe, these yields to maybe go down, but still, there'd still be a yield. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of stable coins. I just think their utility is so useful. Like they're just yeah. such, you know, for someone I used to live overseas, and it's it's hard to send an international wire transfer. It's hard to move money internationally, you know, through these large institutions. So I think there's a practical side to stable coins, and then you combine on top of that this yield generating ability. Um, right. It just makes a, a huge amount of sense. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to get into the head of, of you know, Tim Cook and, and the folks at Apple who are looking, trying to decide about how, how they're allocating resources and how, you know, what their strategy is for, for their own treasuries. Um, but I, I think that um, I think there's something there. And I, I think we're going to see more and more, you know, institutions follow retail. I mean, the interesting thing about this space, Kevin, it's been it's been the retail folks that have been, you know, at the tip of the spear for the last few years in crypto and have been driving a lot of the, the adoption. And then it's been the institutions that have been following. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see the same thing with DeFi. We'll see the same thing with stable coins. Um, it's retail, retail, retail. And then, you know, institutions are, they're like big ships. They take a lot longer to kind of come around and, yeah. and come on board. Um, these, these trends, um, and it's just the nature of, of, you know, they're just cautious. Whereas retail, particularly the, the younger, uh, retail investors these days, they're, they're really kind of showing us the way. Makes sense. Okay, very last question. Ethereum or Bitcoin? Is Ethereum going to flip Bitcoin? I don't think long-term Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin, but I think given that it's, you know, there's so much that can be done with Ethereum, I, I, I think, you know, people always ask me, should I hold Ethereum or, or hold Bitcoin? I think the answer is both. I, both. I think they're both, there you go. they're both great assets. I certainly hold both of them, um, and I'm, and I've, it's worked out well for me. But you know, we have a rule at Argo, or at least we have an kind of an internal saying, in, internal, not eternal, or maybe it's eternal as well, um, which is, you know, never bet against Bitcoin. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, great, great way to end it. Uh, any any final thoughts that you have? I want to give you an opportunity. How can people follow you, stay in touch with you, learn more about you, and and give and and confirm your your ticker for everyone? Uh, because I know sure. we've got uh, there are a few different Argos and people get yeah. Confused. There's there's a lot of Argo <laughs> tickers out there. So we're we're ARBK on the Nasdaq. We're ARB on the LSE. We're still trading on the OS, OTC, which is ARBKF. Um, so that's us. Uh, we are at Argo blockchain is our Twitter handle. And my Twitter handle is at Peter G wall. If, uh, if folks want to want to follow, uh, any of us, uh, and next time, Kevin, I'd like to interview you. I, as I said, I was a former journalist, so maybe next time I could throw a few questions out to you, um, and learn more about your, I mean, you got a finger in so many different pies. You're an interesting character. 
Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Hit me up anytime. This was a blast. Well, make sure to go uh, follow uh, Peter on uh, Twitter. You could also follow Orgo Blockchain. This was a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, stand by for a moment. Everybody else, if you found this helpful, consider sharing the video. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin.